0: England's youngest king was Edward the No, wasn't Edward the sixth? He was seven years old. But Henry the sixth, sorry, he was eight months old when he became king. He's the only king who was crowned king of England and king of France as well. And obviously, at eight months old, he wasn't going to be making very many important decisions. So he wasn't. So they had a, a regency council set up, and then whenever he came of age to make decisions, then he became sole king. What age was that at? Seven years old. He then decided what military policy was, how they would attack or where they would attack. But being seven years old, Henry VI didn't like fighting. And that led to him losing France pretty swiftly and leading to the War of the Roses as well. But those early years up to the age of seven, he really didn't have any power and it was no, not good at all. But as we come to Isaiah chapter 9, we are told there, therefore, to us, a child is born and we are given a child to rule the world for us, haven't we? A child that will rule the world. Not a, a king of England who's going to chicken out of hard decisions, but actually it's Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is the child that is born to rule the world. Isaiah, chapter is a long, Isaiah is a really long book. Chapter 7 to 12. It's a really succinct explanation, if you like, about Emmanuel. About what Jesus is like and what he will bring. And we'll discover how this child, how Jesus is going to rule. How he's going to bring his kingdom. And whenever king, Prince Charles became king... They asked boys and girls in different schools in England, what would you do if you were a king for a day? One boy said he would give free pocket money to everybody so everybody could get what they wanted. Another boy said that he would banish Liverpool, FC, and just get rid of them altogether. A wee girl wanted free cake and unicorns for everybody. That's what the kind of thing that would happen if a child was the rule, isn't it? it wouldn't go very well for very long. But apart from Liverpool being banished, they had a, a little theme, didn't they? The, the, all the examples that the boys and girls gave was free stuff that would benefit lots of people or everybody and make people happy. That was the, the underlying theme of the exception of Liverpool, of course. And as we, we come to Isaiah chapter now, we're going to see how Jesus is going to rule a free gift the benefit of all people and to give us great joy so as we study this together verses one to five we see that a great light has dawned okay a great light has dawned remember i i i i started the reading by reading the last verse of chapter eight and it's a gloomy picture it's a great cloud of darkness a great cloud of distress for the whole of israel and for judah so there are two kingdoms. Israel is split into two. At this point, the southern kingdom is Judah, the northern kingdom Israel, and the northernmost tribes. They are the tribes of Zebulun and Nathali. Okay. So whenever the kingdom is going to end and they're going to be invaded, who's going to be invaded first? Is the people in the very north who are going to be taken over first? So this is why it talks about right here about they're going to be in an anguish and that these regions. <laughs> Zebulun and Nathali. But it doesn't just gloom for those regions Sure, It's not. It it, it is a really, really gloomy, gloomy picture. It's a dark and distressing picture. But, yes, they'll be conquered first. Then the middle of verse 1. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way. There's good news. There's hope for these people. Although they're going to be downtrodden and it'll be dark... They'll be the first people to hear the good news of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, he's, uh, he is tempted. And then he starts his ministry in Capernaum. Which region is Capernaum in? In these regions here. Where that place was full of darkness. They were going to have light. Because Jesus is the one that's going to bring this light. He is the great light that will dawn. And verses 3 and 4 especially, we're constantly told about joy and rejoicing, that they'll be glad because of this news. For what is this news? Why is this man, why is this child that is born going to change anything? Why is he the light that is dawned in the dark, dark place? Well, it's because he's going to bring an end to the conflict. In verse 4, the yoke and the burden is going to be shattered. The staff and the rod that, beat them up is going to be shattered and disappeared and gone and there's going to be freedom now it it talks about physical doesn't it it's physical slavery perhaps here too but it's a spiritual one that no longer are god's people going to be in the dark about how he's going to save them no longer do we need to be obeying rules or think that we need to obey rules But that's all shattered from us and we have a burden lifted off us because of jesus And we have to trust in him. What was once used for for boots and clothing for fighting is going to be burnt up. Like in chapter 2 where the swords will turn into plows. This war is going to end. There's going to be a time where there will be peace. Where military will not be needed. But that's in the future still, isn't it? How is this conflict going to come was well, because in verse 6, this, to us, a child is born. No ordinary child. If you've been blessed with children, you know that children change your life, people say, don't they? In the greatest respect, we're all pretty ordinary. We're special, yes, but we're the same in many, many ways. But here, the Lord Jesus, he is no ordinary child, but he's a powerful royal child, isn't he? Just as Henry VI was no ordinary child in a sense. He was born of the king. He was a special baby in that way. He had the, uh, he had the, the, the power to make decisions later on. But this powerful royal child that we see in, in verses 6 and 7 is special. Unlike anything or anybody else. What happens when he's a king that's going to rule in great power, the government's on his shoulders. He's able to carry it all. Now Moses, whenever he led the people out of the, the out of the out of Egypt, heading towards the promised land, he had all kinds of jobs. He was the leader of the people. He was also the 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 defence minister, if you like. He organized the the, the, the battle scenes. He was the foreign secretary, and how they would uh, relate to other nations around him. He had all these jobs, and they had to shirt out eventually, because it was too much. Well, Jesus, it's all I like just thrown a bag over his shoulder. It's easy. He has all the poise, all the wisdom to make all these decisions. He is carrying it all, and his government's not going to fall to pieces. He's not a dictator in that sense, where he's going to bring the nations down or his people down. No. How is his kingdom going to be like? The government shall be upon his shoulder. But in verse 7 it will be of a government of increase, of peace. That will be of no end. His kingdom is great. And his kingdom, unlike any other kingdoms that will end. Jesus' kingdom continues and continues to grow. With people all over the world. That this powerful royal child. He does have royal descent. That he is from the throne of David. That most greatest king in all of Israel. That they still hark back to today. That there is one greater to come. And every king came and it wasn't them. But here we have the one born in the most humble of circumstances. Is the one they ought to have looked to. He's the one that is promised to by God. To us by God, and He will rule with justice and righteousness. Aren't those two things we would long for any government? Justice, that people are punished in the correct way, that they serve time, that they are dealt with. But not just dealt with, but dealt with well, that they're righteous, that our people in government would be righteous people, upstanding citizens. Great examples. Here we have the greatest ruler of all. And he is that. He will rule with justice. And righteousness. Forever. Even in our lives now. He rules forever. How does it all come about? It's because the Lord will accomplish it. Because we will never bring justice. Justice. We'll never bring righteousness. We'll never bring world peace. Only the Lord will accomplish it. Verse, The end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, God's passion. God's passion for us as people is to live under this rule. To live in a place of righteousness and justice. A place of peace that will have no end. And only God can do it. And that's what he wants for us. That's God's passion. That's why he sends Jesus. That we would be under his... That we would be part of this kingdom. And the only way Jesus is able to do that... Is through his own passion, isn't it? On the cross for me and for you. What a ruler. Who could it possibly be... But our Lord Jesus. American elections are starting to... Head towards election time... Over the next two years or so again... And in the, the elections, and you'll see it on, on television, no doubt, you'll find billboards like this in America, and it could be anybody else's face eh, on the, the billboard as well, where it says, for to us, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders. No one else can bring it. It doesn't matter if it's my face up there or yours, because we all think we can. We cannot. It is Jesus. He is the light that has dawned. He is the powerful royal child who will reign eternally. He will bring righteousness and justice. And he's born to us. Not just for himself, but to us a son is given. All the blessing of being under this king, Jesus, is ours. He is given to us and for us. And his names show him to be that. So in verse, seven, verse 6, sorry, we have these wonderful names of Jesus. As we've been thinking about with the boys and girls over the last couple of weeks. So let's just pause for a few moments and look at each one in turn. This one who is king over all, he is the wonderful counsellor. I think most of us will be familiar with the concept of a counsellor now, don't we? Maybe be sitting across the table you might think of lying on the sofa and answering questions that are given to you there's a concept of a, a helper someone who, who gets to know you and gives you advice about a life circumstance or difficulty and then you're to go away and try and put it into practice i think that probably sums up a counter so they help you and try and set you on the right path wonderful well, here it doesn't mean something really, really good. You know, we hear news and we say, oh, that's wonderful news. Congratulations or, or well done. No, wonderful. It's not like that song is that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. That's not right. Wonderful here is by God's signs and wonders, that God is all powerful. So think of the, the Templex. They were signs and wonders given to, to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt that they would know that God was more powerful. Think of Jesus as he walked on earth, as Emmanuel, God with us, as he healed people, as he spoke with great authority, as he cast out demons. Those were wonders that the people were left in awe and could hardly speak. Here, Jesus is all powerful. He is that as. He was in the beginning that the word became flesh. He is the creator who upholds the world. So Jesus, as our wonderful counselor, is all powerful. That's how he rules. He's not going to be brought down like other kings in this world. He will last. He is all powerful. And he is all wisdom. Counselors will have a niche of an area of life that they will help you with. They will not tackle it all. They might refer you on to more help. Well, here. Jesus has all wisdom. He is a helper. He doesn't need to get to know you. Because he already knows you. And we ought to listen to, to his advice. And put it into practice. And his words. Kings. Queens. Presidents. Prime ministers. They will have the equivalent of a royal's court. They have a council of people that they gather together to try and come to some sort of decision. But Jesus, he's all wisdom. He carries the government on his shoulders. He knows everything. So what should we do with this wonderful counsellor? Follow him. We need to listen to his words. For he knows us. John 10, Jesus says, My sheep will listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Is Jesus your wonderful counselor? Listen to his voice. Jesus is the helper. We need to listen, follow, and practice. In all of life, wisdom comes only from God, whether that is with personal circumstances or social issues, emotional guidance. Jesus is all wisdom. Christ in his word is our wonderful counselor. He is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. And he is stronger and more powerful than any other enemy or any other person. For he is the defender and protector of his people. He is the mighty God. He is the, the one who is looking out for his people. Who makes sure policies are for good. That he's a strong warrior that brings victory. As David led his people into battle and they won more often than not. Here the Lord Jesus will always win. That is the picture. Nothing or no one will defeat him. For he is the mighty God, the defender of the people, protector of his people. But he's the one who easily defeats his enemies. He is stronger than them. Genesis 3.15 God says to the serpent. That the one promise to come, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Satan was waging war against Jesus and all he is able to do is leave a little nick in his heel while Jesus crushes the serpent's head. The battle, although long, although it might seem difficult, the ultimate victory for the all-powerful God is easing. For Jesus, he defeats sin. He defeats death. He defeats all of his enemies, which we see in the cross as he conquers the grave and leads his people to victory. But he defeats all his enemies, Satan and all who go with him. For he is the mighty God. He will save us from our sin. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. Jesus has a concern for his people. He loves them. In the book of Isaiah, especially if you're out in the evenings, there's some chapters, in chapter 5, possibly especially, where we see the, the picture of the rulers in Israel. In, in Isaiah's day, they didn't care about the weak and the vulnerable, they didn't care about the widow or the orphan. The rich got richer, and the poor got poorer and were trampled upon. But Jesus. He is a concern. He's like a father to them. He loves them. And he concerns himself with them. So don't get mixed up with heavenly father and Jesus. They're they're separate of course. But the one God. But here it's simply describing Jesus' love for us. More familiar would be his shepherding. His care and devotion. His compassion as we see in the gospels over and over again. In Luke 7, where the widow has her only son at the funeral, Jesus looks at her and has compassion. A deep love for her. As he looks out to the crowd of the people who are wandering astray, Jesus looks out and he has compassion on them. The parable of the good Samaritan. What does the good Samaritan have? on the person led for dead the side of the road, which is us. Compassion. Jesus has a compassion and love. And as we trust in this ruler. It is an endless love for us. First John 4 says that God is love. It's a love that will always be. And will always last. You can only love. Whenever you're here can't you? When we die. We, our love ends. Jesus love. God's love. It never ends. For he is the prince of peace. He is the Prince of Peace. This word for, for Prince is the same word used whenever Joshua takes over from Moses and meets with the commander of the Lord's army. And there Joshua asks the commander, the Prince of the army, Are you for us or against us? And the commander answers, Neither. Leaving the question for us Are we for God? Or against God? That is the question. And this prince of peace. This commander who will bring peace. As we trust in him and look to him. What does he give? He gives us total security. The prince of peace will give us eternity security. This peace will come. And it will stay. At the moment it's ruined with our sin. And the sin of our world. But what is to come. Is this peace. Where we don't need to fight wars anymore. We're going to burn all that stuff. Like this kingdom will be perfect justice and righteousness. And there's no need for anything else. Because there is peace. Why is there peace? Because the Prince of Peace reconciles us to God. Romans 5. Even though we were enemy. God's enemies. We were reconciled to him. That we were at war with him. That we are are sinners and we are against God. And because he is the mighty one. He ought to punish us. But instead of punishing us. He gives us a son to us and for us. So as we live under the rule of King Jesus. We receive this peace. Peace not from the world. But a peace that will last for eternity. And as we live in faith. A peace that surpasses all understanding in life's circumstances for we have a knowledge of the eternal peace to come. Jesus is the one who comes to rule the world. But is he your ruler? He will come. He will rule the world. But is he your king? For if he is not, As he strikes the serpent's head, he will defeat all those who are against him and his enemy. So follow his voice. He is the the one who loves eternally. He is the one to power to save because he is the child that God has given to us as our Prince of Peace, our Everlasting Father, our Mighty God and our Wonderful Counselor. And we have the great assurance that the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish all this.